Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and I'm excited to have Nick Ray, who's an entrepreneur and author living in Austin, Texas. He started and sold two successful businesses, Fly Display Systems and Museum Hack. Nick is the author of the new book, the two-hour cocktail party, a step-by-step handbook that teaches you how to build big relationships by hosting small gatherings. And over 75,000 people have watched his TEDx talk about why he hates uh, most of our museums. Uh, welcome to the show, Nick. Hey, thank you very much. Awesome. So, uh, you know, you, you have an interesting journey. You, you, you started uh, two companies and uh, you had exit out and you've written a book. How did you get your start in, in startups? I got my start in startups. You know, I grew up in a, um, a middle class family and I for all I always had the entrepreneurial bug. I started a web hosting company back in maybe 1996, a long time ago. Oh. And I, I was doing web design and I just always was doing entrepreneurial projects to try to make money. As a young kid, I was always trying to make money. That was something I was really into. And then those two businesses you mentioned, Flight Display Systems and Museum Hack, those were, I think, my two biggest, most successful startups. But I definitely had, when I was a college student, I tried to start a software company. I moved to India after uh-huh. college, trying to start the company. And it, it was a total failure, but I learned so much. It was a, it was a great learning experience. Oh, that's super interesting. How how is India? Because India can be even an entrepreneurial place, but uh, it's only the last couple of years. But uh, only the last couple of years, right? And I <laughs> went over there in two thousand four, two thousand five. It was not as an entrepreneurial mindset, so I struggled to be honest. But I loved it. I loved the people. I loved the food. I spent most of the time in um, Pune, and oh, I also lived in um, Bombay for a bit. So I loved it there. That, that's super interesting, and. Uh, you know, how, how did that start really happen with fly display systems and using have, you know, as you can talk to listeners about what the, these two companies were all about? Yes. Yeah, I'll talk about that. So I started and sold two companies and then now I wrote a book that'll teach you how to host these parties. And we'll talk about it later that hopefully you can use these parties to grow your business. So stay tuned for that. But about my history, the first company that was big, that was a success that sold was called Flight display systems. And that was a family business. So my father started it in the basement of our house and it was just a small business after college. And I started to help him out with the website and with marketing. I helped him hire his first employee and then started to do more. And we were really working together like a true family business. And it went from just being a tiny company in the basement of our house to over 75 employees. And that company made that moving map that shows you where the plane flies across the country in used in small jets and then got into some military planes and other special mission work and project. It's wild because I haven't thought about that company in a long time, but that's really how I spent my 20s. All my 20s were spent. I didn't have a girlfriend. I had no social life. I was just working to grow that family business. And then I left that to start up Museum Hack, which I was doing as a, a hobby, a fun, a fun project. And Museum Hack does renegade museum tours. These are live experiences led by people like Broadway actors and stand-up comedians at some of the best museums in America, like the Metropolitan Museum of Art, 
the Getty in Los Angeles, the National Gallery in Washington, D.C. And we would lead these non-traditional tours that are fun, that are exciting, that are filled with jokes and gossip, like how much something costs. And that became very famous. And it got a lot of great reviews and grew to over 50 employees. And then I sold that business in 2019. Got interesting. And you know, how, how was your experience growing in a, in a family business? Is it difficult to work with? Uh, with your with your family, uh, or do you do you suggest people to uh, to work in a family business? You know what was interesting was working with my family business brought me so much closer to my parents, and I had such an incredible relationship with them. I still do now because we work so closely together. Yes, it was difficult, but yes, it brought us so much closer together. I'm so thankful for that opportunity. Interesting. And you sold Museum Hack and you, you know, you've been very candid and you wrote a blog post on that or, or how you use self-financing. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what was, you know, what was self-financing all about then? And why did you go on to sell your, sell your company? Um, okay. So um, two questions. One there was why did I sell the company? So I'll start with that. I had grown the company. Frankly speaking, I grew it as much as I could. And I couldn't really get it above $3 million in revenue. I really tried everything that I could. And it just sort of plateaued under me. And I knew that to take it to the next step, we needed to really have new leadership. And I also tried to hire another CEO and I just wasn't able to make it work. Well, it's so happy. I didn't know what to do at that time, but Michael and um, Tasia, the then marketing officer and the CEO came to me and said, hey, would you sell us the business? And that turned out just to be a genius idea. They didn't want to put any money down though. So under your next question, what was seller financing? Um, they didn't want to put money down. And so I agreed to sell them the business as long as they paid me back over the years from what the business was making. And then now, no joke, the business is more successful than it has ever been. It really worked out well for everybody. Interesting. And, you know, after you, you sold your business, uh, you know, you've now written a book about two-hour cocktail party. What is, what, is, what is it all about? So I hosted a lot of events. To launch my last business, I hosted a lot of these cocktail parties. They were gatherings. They were social events for my friends in New York City. Generally, 15 to 25 people, small events where people would gather and I would do unique things like name tags and icebreakers. And I've hosted hundreds and hundreds of these parties. And now I've taught about 60 people how to host parties themselves. And I've seen it literally change people's lives where they say they've made more friends. They've met um, co-founders, they've hired new employees, they've got big contacts, big sales details, all those things from hosting just a simple two-hour event. So now I wrote a book over the last five years to train and teach people how to do what I did and learn from everything that I've learned from hundreds and hundreds of events. By the way, these don't cost a lot of money. You can host it for under $100 worth of supplies and you don't have to have any prior experience and I think everybody should do it. It's like the secret. It's the magic that you can use to unlock. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, 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 uh, you know, before the call, I was talking about you know how in business schools, you know, they, uh, you know, all your all your classmates gather together and do these parties. But but it can be quite intimidating. You know, if you do it for the first time, you always worry about how others would feel. You know, how should one go about you know hosting a party if they have never done it before? 
So I think the biggest thing that a lot of people don't realize is the more structure at a party, the more freedom that your guests actually have. And a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to host a party. I don't want to have name tags. I don't want to have icebreakers. I want to be the chill host, right? I'm too cool. I want to be cool for my friends. And that's actually not a good way to do it because that lack of structure doesn't give your guests the freedom to go up and talk to somebody new. So one example is the idea of having name tags. Sounds too formal for a bar gathering or for a meeting. But in reality, name tags show everybody that it's a safe space to go up and start some new conversations, especially for introverts who can be a little bit shy. Name tags help to just not not have them stress about remembering names or something like that. And I tell you what, after COVID, people are awkward. They forget how to gather. They forget how to make small talk. And so now is the time. That's why this structure really makes sense. Now is why this book is going to do really well. Interesting. You, you talked about structure. You know, you're kind enough to to share uh, your book, and I had had to read uh, through it. And you you mentioned about hosting a party during the weekday, uh, yeah. and you know, I, I've usually done it over the weekends. But 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 uh, I live in a smaller city, uh, very close to London. But do you think it's it's valid for people who live in smaller cities as well? I think even for smaller cities, the best day to host a party might not be what you think. And I say that in the book, that the best days are non-red level days. So I like Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights. Why is that? Because the number one fear of a new host who's never hosted before is that nobody's going to show up, that their party will be empty, right? And so we host on a Monday or a Tuesday or Wednesday night because then everybody can come. They don't have plans. It's not socially competitive. I also talk about using the runway where you give yourself at least three weeks to plan for your party. I advise people to make it only two hours long. So that means everybody shows up on time. That's something that new hosts are shocked about when they host a party with my method. They say, I can't believe it. Everybody showed up on time because how often have you been invited to a party that it's on a Saturday at four o'clock or something? And you're like, well, four o'clock, I'll show up at six o'clock, right? But yeah. when it's a two-hour time slot, everybody shows up on time. So that's great. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Yeah, that would be interesting to do with my Indian friends who always, uh, you know, notorious for coming a little late. Uh, but I'll, I'll have Indian it time. Yeah, Indian time. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, and you, you also mentioned about, uh, you know, uh, to to give a you know certain time uh, and you know ending it at a time. Well, you know, what if the biggest worry is, you know, what if people don't leave? They have a cocktail party and they <laughs> they get so drunk that they they don't leave the party. Has right? it ever That's happened? A- That's a serious concern for a lot of people. How do I get people to leave? Well, we get people to leave by setting those expectations that there is an end time to the party. When you list on your event RSVP that there's both a start and an end time, and when you mention that in your party reminder messages, and when you host it on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, versus if you host on a Friday, Saturday night, people, they don't have work the next day. They don't have school. They're going to get wasted. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday... 
it's more okay. But then I think your question is, what do you do? How do you ask them to leave nicely if they're just staying there? And so the secret that I'll tell your visitors is if somebody's really trying to talk with you and they won't leave at the end of your party, then what I say to them is I say, hey, I really want to talk to you. I'm so glad I can't talk right now because I need to clean up and tidy and get ready for work. But can we talk tomorrow? Can I call you? Please, can I follow up? I'd like to have this conversation. And so it's acknowledging them like that and saying, yes, I would like to follow up. I can't right now. I want to be here with you, but let me follow up tomorrow. 99% of the time that, of course, the person gets it and they say, yes, they feel seen and then they leave. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, another big worry would be whom to call because, uh, you know, a lot of people are working. They usually know their colleagues. They haven't been in touch with their, uh, with the, you know, whatever school and college friends. Uh, and if they're new to the city, you know, what, what ideas would, would you have for them? So who to invite to your party is a big question. And many people want to know about this. I wrote a really good article about this at which you can see on this awesome website that I made, which by the way, if you go to this website now, you can download the 19 things to do right now for your next party. It's a two page PDF that also has the executive summary of the key findings from my book. But if you go to this website, it's, I think the address is www dot party, P-A-R-T-Y dot pro. And there's an article there called Who to Invite. It's also featured in one of my chapters in the book. And here's what you need. You need five people to start with. That's all that you need is five people who will say yes. If you can get those five people. Now, who are those first five people? They're your work colleagues. They're your neighbors. They're a plus one for your neighbor. There's they're your college friends. And there's a lot of ideas that I have on how you can find those five. You can open up your text messages and scroll through your history to see who you're texting. Look at your DMs on social media. You can go into your Facebook, your LinkedIn, and search for friends who live in your city. But it's having those first five that I call a core group that everything will build onto that. And you'll be shocked. Once you get those first five and they all set up an RSVP for your party, it creates social proof where more people will RSVP. And then as you go through your life and you bump into anyone interesting, you simply say to them, hey, my friends and I are having a party in two weeks. Can I invite you? And note the wording there. You're not saying, will you come? You're not saying, do you want to come? You're just saying, can I invite you? It's very easy to say yes to. And then people start to see the list. They see that you're taking it seriously. I like to suggest a cocktail party because it's so much easier than a dinner party both for the host and for the guests, right? True, true. I know I love that. I think five people say yes, builds up a bit of a confidence and you can go from there. Uh, oh, yeah. I love that. And you know, you also talk about supplies. Uh, obviously, I know about name tags, but any other supplies, I think the paper cups and, and you know, markers, what, 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 what other suggestions do you have? So the basic supplies that you need is you need a little bit of liquor and you need some drinks. Now, this is controversial because in the UK, this probably won't go well. But I tell people, you don't have to have beer. And yeah. here's why. And I know this is controversial. Uh, uh, are you a beer drinker yourself? I, I am, yes. Now, you tell me if this is right. But beer drinkers, the problem with beer drinkers is that you're highly brand loyal. Yes, I think, yes. And the problem with beer is if you serve beer at your party, then to get and to 
make every beer drinker happy. You need to buy many different types of beers. And I find it's much easier instead to have some basic liquors with some mixers, some seltzers, something like that. But here's the secret. It's not about the drinks. I don't even drink alcohol. I couldn't tell you how to make a cocktail. There's no cocktail recipes. But the idea of a cocktail party is a social gathering where you're meant to talk to new people. So that's why I use that phrase cocktail party. And so we'll have some basic drinks. We'll have some some vodka, some whiskey, some bourbon, some tequila, some mixers, some white wine, red wine. All of that should be less than $100, less than 100 pounds. And just those basic mixers and some light snacks. And then for the supplies, yes, you need uh, you need to have cups, you need to have name tags, you need to have markers, but that's about it. There's not a lot. Mm, interesting. And you know, what if what if somebody doesn't drink? So you know, should should you ask? Do you usually ask your guests? You know, what 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 is something they would like to drink if they don't have alcohol alcoholic drinks? That's a great question. I do always have some non-alcoholic mixers. And that's a great point that when you invite people, you could absolutely say there'll be plenty of non-alcoholic options as well. And now that I think about it, I should make a note to be explicitly clear that it's not about the drinks, right? If you don't drink, you're welcome. This is a great party to come to. Got it. And, you know, you also talked about ice-breaking questions and having a structure. Uh, What sort of ice-breaking questions? Is it like a a game that you're supposed to play with your... Uh, with the, uh, with the guest. So generally, we do these rounds of icebreakers to help people encourage new conversations and to give them the confidence to go speak to somebody new. My favorite icebreaker question is, well, first, before I tell you what it is, let me just say that I hate what I call like these really red level icebreakers. And that, for example, could be what's the worst first date that you ever went on? Why do I hate that? Because that's very high judgment. It is very vulnerable. It's a question that requires a lot of vulnerability at the beginning of a night when you don't know anybody. So I like green level icebreakers. That means it's easy to think of, it's easy to answer, and it's fast. There's no judgment. And so a green level icebreaker that I like and I suggest everybody use for the first icebreaker of the night would be, say your name, say what you do for work. If you don't want to talk about work, something that you're excited about, and what is one of your favorite things to eat for breakfast? Oh, interesting. Now, it sounds like a very simple, silly thing, but that question, everybody eats or doesn't eat breakfast. They did it recently. They can remember it quickly. They can say it, and it expresses a little bit of their personality. And so that's really how we use icebreakers is to express some of our personality and to give people an excuse to go start some new conversations afterwards. Got it. Interesting. And- uh, you know, do you have the same advice if, if somebody wants to host an office party? For an office party, you can use a little bit more formal um, invitations and messages, slightly more formal. So whereas if I'm inviting a friend, I might say, oh, I'll have name tags and icebreakers, lol, because I'm bad with names. For work, I maybe wouldn't use some of those emojis or say lol or include some funny memes or something like that. But the same fundamentals apply for work events. Got it. And work. I was just going to say that I think this actually works better for work because there's more of a focus on networking. Yeah. And so you can actually speed it up and do it a little bit more like that. Got interesting. And how about, you know, uh, a party for kids? Uh, what, what difference? Uh, would you would you add there? 
So if you have kids, the number one piece of advice that I've heard from people who've hosted my style parties with kids is hire a babysitter, hire a babysitter to take care of the kids because adults oftentimes use children as a conversational crutch. They use these kids as an excuse to avoid adult interaction. And so when you hire a babysitter and you host a simultaneous, you know, kids party in a different room of the house, the parents can focus a little bit better. They can socialize. They can make new friends. So that's the best piece of advice. Hire at least one babysitter and throw a simultaneous uh, kids party um, in another room of your house. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Love that. And, uh, you know, I've been to a lot of events, uh, this something called This Week in FinTech in London, a lot of on deck events and now they're on a big fund. Uh, you know, how what what uh, advice would you want to give for people who uh, you know moved uh, recently uh, to new city and they want, uh, especially for a lot of listeners are entrepreneurs, they want to find a co-founder uh, a, or a new employee or a customer or a VC. You know, what advice would you give to them on part how to host a party so that they can have the right people in the in the business life. I, I love that question because you're getting at, I think, the idea that your network is your net worth. Have you heard yeah. that quote before? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're building a business, looking for a co-founder, trying to hire an employee, we find about the best opportunities through our weak ties and our loose connections. These are the acquaintances that we only rarely see in town. And hosting an event, when you do it, let's say every five to six weeks, or maybe every month if you're ambitious you grow and you build your network of acquaintances and you learn about all these new things. So whether it's socially being invited to a lot of events or whether it's professionally by getting new customers, clients, and employees and referrals, when you host a party, you just build your network in a really authentic way because everybody wants to know someone who hosts a party. Yeah. Everybody wants to be friends with someone who like organizes people together. That's, that's the secret. Yeah, no, absolutely love that. And, uh, you know, I wanted to understand your process of writing the book. You know, uh, uh, I've had, you know, a few guests like Kai Kawasaki and James Clare who've uh, taken a long time to, to write the book. You know, what was your entire book writing process and uh, what, what, what is the marketing that you did? Well, my book process was not the best. It took me five years to write this. I wouldn't <laughs> wish writing a book on my worst enemy. It was a very <laughs> difficult process for me because I'm a perfectionist and I wanted this formula to be perfect. Like I said, I tested it with dozens of people to make sure that everything worked, that it could work for anything else. Because it's easy to for me to write a formula that works for me or one person, but can I get it to work for 55 people in the UK, in the US, in India, all around the world? So that took me a long time. Uh, and then I think if I had to do it differently, I would maybe start to publish each of the chapters earlier as blog posts and share them online for online feedback. I've seen that being done, and that's very helpful to get feedback much sooner from people. All right. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been following your blog, uh, and that's how I got to know about, about the book. Uh, but, you know, what's, what's the ROI for content marketing since you've been writing uh, for such a long time, uh, but what what are you looking from? You know, building this blog and the content around it. 
So I'm trying to get 500 people to read my book and to host a party using my methods. And 500 is from starting right now, this week, when my book is now live. And I think that after I see 500 people, then I'll figure out, is there a business there? Could I start a conference? Do people need help hosting these types of events? I'm not sure. But just with my last business, Museum Hack, I did it for two years for free, for fun, as a hobby to become the best tour guide in the whole world. And then once I was the best, then I made a business out of it. Similarly, I'm going to do this for a year to try to get those 500 people. And then once I'm the absolute best at training and teaching people how to build their network in a very authentic way, then maybe I'll start a business. But because I started and sold two businesses, I'm lucky that I don't have to make money off this right now. You know, I, I love how, how you're reframing it, you know, building a content, building uh, an audience and then thinking about a business. Uh, and how do, you, how do you find the time for, you know, writing the book, uh, you know, doing other businesses, consulting, you know, how do you, how do you find the time uh, and being productive? Thankfully, I'm really lucky that since I sold my last business, I don't have to work now. And so this is what I'm 100% focused on. It's almost like this is my business. And that's a gift. You know, I'm thankful for that. Got it. And, and what are you looking for marketing for this book? Uh, do you have a marketing strategy on how to, how to promote the book? So I think about it because I'm not trying to reach any top lists on Wall Street Journal or USA Today or the New York Times. I think about it more like a launch year or a launch month. And I'm right. taking a slower approach to talk to people and to get those true hosts that my true goal is those 500 people. Yeah. And so what am I doing for marketing? Of course, I did all the obvious stuff. I hit my email list. I did my social media. Now I'm doing high profile um, podcast interviews like this. I'm going to be sharing on mailing lists and on other um, podcasts. But I think that hopefully if it's a good book and I've almost gotten 100 five-star reviews on Amazon just in the first week. And cool. so I'm really proud about that, that it seems to be resonating, that it's a high quality book. So I'm hoping through slowly marketing, buying some Amazon ads, things like that, that the book will start to spread. No, absolutely. I think the content has been is really good and it's really informative, something which I've never read before because I've, I've read through a lot of business books, but this is actionable book uh, and somebody can, you know, build up a lot of relationships and I love hosting parties and something I would love to do. Uh, you know, looking You're going to be my work. first UK person. I'm <laughs> counting on this. First you UK know, uh, post-launch. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Favorite business book? Well, just because I want to give somebody advice about writing a book and trying to say something new that nobody's heard. There's a book out there called Write Useful Books, and it's about writing nonfiction books. And I found it very helpful that if you're ever thinking about writing a book, you have to read this book. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. And if you could go back in time when you started writing the book, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? I would have shared some of some of the key concepts and ideas as blog posts much earlier in order to get feedback in a more public setting. I also think, let me think if there's something else that I would have done. I would have collected from the early. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking about writing a book, you need to write down your stories, whether that's doing a voice memo or writing down in a notes file, the little moments from your life 
that are that are poignant that you tell friends and they smile about save as many of those as possible because that's what people connect with when it comes time to write your book that's what people want are those personal stories got it and uh, your favorite online tools example gmail slack zoom my favorite online tool my team and i use um canva a whole lot for graphic design and using royalty free images so i like canva there's also a tool a software tool i use called um optin monster yep. and optin monster is used to generate leads to build my newsletter and it's it's such a good tool it's very nice corridor we'll, we'll put that in the show notes uh, and nick what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more, more about the 2 hour cocktail party book Oh, you got to follow me. Follow me on Instagram. My name there is Nick Gray News, N I C K G R A Y N E W S. And then the website, I built this whole website with all these articles about my book and the key concepts. And you can find that at www.party, P A R T Y .pro. And I've got two articles there that I'm real proud of. One is called How to Host a Happy Hour, and the other is called How to Plan a Networking Event. I'll show you step by step guide on how to do either of those. Awesome, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Nick, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us, uh, and best wishes for the the book launch. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.